0: Absolute pleasure to be here. Amen. Eventually. I never met it the last time, but oh. we came this time. And, praise God. So good to be here. So good to be here with John and Noel and Jen and Jason and Naomi, despite our best efforts, arrived this morning. But <laughs> so God bless you. God bless you in the word of God today. You know, Brother Noel just read that scripture at the very, very beginning of this meeting and in Ecclesiastes, the verse in chapter 2, he said, Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thy heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven. And thou upon art, therefore let thy words be few. And friend, you know just as he read that, I mean, man, that to me we'll see, that to me is a confirmation of this message here today. Do not rash with thy know the title of this message is presumption and over familiarity. And you know, just thinking in what Keith began to preach, began to preach, began to preach 10 years ago, just before the start of this church, that Choose Your Church series, the three messages from uh, the books of Samuel there, and you know, um, that was what this church was crossed into. I was there at the very beginning of it, and I remember hearing those messages and going, just in my heart before the Lord said, I will be part of that Samuel church. Amen. And I know Keith spoke of last week, you know. You know, uh, you've got Samuel Church, and I know that's our heart's desire here today is to want to be part of that Samuel Church, that new thing that God is doing, raised up under Eli's house, and you know, I'm aware in, in saying... In saying you want to be part of that Samuel church, you are saying I've rejected Eli and I've rejected Hophni and Phineas. But oh, as we're here 10 years down the line, you know, this whole thing of the Lord speaking to us on Samuel as us as a church has been very consistent. I think of Brother Robin coming and preaching that message about how Samuel's mother would bring him up that new coat, a larger coat, year after year. And yet here we are at our 10 year anniversary and Keith just this this fourth message as it were um, on this. Choose Your Church series just speaking about Samuel and beginning to warn about the errors and I'll say and he mentioned this word last week the presumption of Samuel in his later life but you know I'm conscious of all of that But I'm also conscious here this morning, at 10 years down the line, of those who did step out, and those who did say, I will be part of this seminal Church, of those who rejected Eli, of those who rejected Hoffman and and they're not here this morning. And I want to talk about presumption and over familiarity. That, 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 That verse Noel read about the rashness of our mouth. The heart of this message is such this morning, that the people probably that most need to hear it, or take heed to it in certain aspects of their life, Well, probably, and I hope not, I pray pray God he speaks here this morning, but that's the way these things happen. The people that mostly need to hear things sometimes, they walk away and they forget, or they didn't hear, or they just treat it as a light thing, or they just presume that it it didn't need to be a weighty thing. But we're coming to this message, presumption. Over familiarity, you know. I said, I've been praying for a message for this meeting today, just knowing we're coming here for uh, ages now. And you know, just prayed into it. And in one half hour, I thought I had a message coming over here. In one half hour last Sunday morning, early, um, the Lord gave me this message. And when Keith began to preach last Sunday morning, I thought to myself, Oh no, he's just stolen this message off me. I knew the Lord had given me something, and uh, but he stopped short. And, you know, I believe and I hope that this message dovetails of what was begun to be spoken about last Sunday morning um, in that fourth message of Choose Your Church. Um, I took that again last Sunday morning as a confirmation from the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me as we just come around the world, Lord? Father in heaven, Lord, I pray you'd speak here today, O oh God. Father, we want to hear your voice, Lord, like Samuel was able to hear your voice, Lord. Father in heaven, O oh God, we want preserved, O oh God, every right aspect of Samuel, everything that he was that was good and upright before you, Lord. We want that preserved in our midst. And, O oh God, we fear, O oh God, Father, to move on from that, to presume we could do a thing, O oh God, Father. We never want to grow too big for our boots, Oh God, as a church, Lord, Father, we want to stay humble and small in our ways, and Lord, Father, as we come here this morning, I pray you'd speak unto us, and Father, even that you'd speak unto me, Lord, I ask, help in Jesus' name, amen. The scripture we're speaking from this morning is in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and the verses there are from verse 1 to 23, and um, if you want to turn there, I'll give you a second, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 to 23. And it says there, again David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, thirty thousand, note that number, and David arose and went with all the ark that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they did set set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nahon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hands to the Ark of God, and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the Ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of, that, of the place Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and said, How shall the Ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom unto the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David answered be- danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Friends, we're coming back to this portion of scripture a little while later in this message. But today I want to talk about presumption and over-familiarity. It's the title and the theme of this message. And in this message I want to look at examples of it in scripture. I want to emphasize the seriousness of it in scripture. And I want to bring us finally to the cure for it in scripture. Do you know it is not a good thing to be presumptuous. To have that forwardness that I just thought. This is just what I'll do. You know, the dictionary definition of that word presumption means it means to be arrogant or impertinent enough to do something or to suppose that something is the case on the basis of probability. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. Or, in my opinion, that high heralded opinion of mine. Be careful what you have an opinion about, friends. If we read scripture at all and take take heed to it ourselves, we it will work a carefulness in us. um, about what we have opinions of, how we form our opinions, how we think about things, how we view certain things, is how we view everything subject to the word of God. Friends, you know the Lord deals with things as we walk along this way and it's always friends to bring more of a tightness. We we want to go this way. We want to bring breadth and wideness. That's the way we naturally tend. But the word of God I find is all yes it's encouraging along the way, but it brings a tightness. It brings a narrowness back in again. And you know it's right. Because God is holy, friends. Maybe, just maybe, your opinion is not right. Yet we're so, yet we're so enamored by our own opinions and our own thoughts, friends. These things must be brought subject to the Word of God. That's the definition of uh, presumption: to be arrogant or pertinent enough to do something, or to suppose that something is the case on the pro- on the basis of probability. But that that statement, or that those two words, over-familiarity, a definition of being overly familiar is having too much knowledge of something, or the fact that you know it too well. You are very acquainted with anything, you're very familiar. And you know what? we've heard that expression, familiarity breeds contempt. The, yeah. the world uses that expression. And it's true, it means that the better you know someone, the more you will find fault with him. Yeah, okay. familiarity breeds contempt means the more time you spend with someone the more you the tendency is to lose respect for them or the more you're exposed to someone or something the more bored you become the more normal these things become and the, the less appreciation you have for that person or thing our sister Eileen was just saying oh a day or where I'm from it's a lovely place and you know it's such a, a charming place. and I said Eileen, oh, I just passed through you know on the way to work in the mornings and um, I wouldn't have known if the top half of the village was blown up overnight and she's right It is a lovely place, but I've become so familiar, I don't even see the niceties and the things that tourists come to that area for. Do you know? That's familiarity, breeding contempt, and these things are a danger for us. We have to recognize in the Church of Jesus Christ that these things are a danger for us. Do you know? We're in three meetings every week, most of us. We're listening to good preaching, hearing frequent promptings to be holy brought back to scripture talking about living the narrow way and friends there's even a danger of over familiarity in that well this is just the brand of christianity we walk in or this is what we're associated with friends i hate that in the church christ is owned by no one he's not owned by a denomination he's not owned by a religion he is who he is and we submit to him and that's the order of things my well, friends, we're coming to examples of presumption in scripture. And um, you know, as soon as I I, I've saw, I've, as soon as I saw this, I can't unsee it anymore in scripture. Everywhere I look, I'm seeing examples of presumption. And I'd actually say that presumption goes hand in hand with pride. You know, and we're going to look at what the word presumption means and see more of that in a second. But you you see Adam, they're taking of that fruit. That was presumption. What was it that took Adam from just this beautiful communion and a relationship of walking with God? and, and now. He's actually doing what he was told not to do. was there a familiarity started to come there in Adam? was there something there had to have been friends that there was something that Adam says, I don't have to just you know, And I know there was the suggestion of Satan, the enemy walks in the midst of all of that, but Adam did presume it was okay to take of that fruit and we know the consequences of that, the fall of mankind, or I think of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament who presumed it was okay to lie to the Holy Ghost, Or oh, they didn't say it like that, they didn't see it like that, they were just doing what they thought, their opinion, we'll just do this, they're doing that, we'll just do this ourselves, presumed that it was okay to do that you know? I know they didn't see it like that in their own eyes. Struck dead, friends. Struck dead. That's right. oh, what about the Amalekite? I've been buried in the in, uh, the two books of Samuel just this past while. And, and what about the Amalekite who came to David in 2 Samuel chapter 1? Oh, David, I came across Saul out on the battlefield, and he, he tried to commit suicide. And, and I just presumed, David, that it, that it would be okay, and that you'd be happy with me for finishing him off. I mean, he was dying anyway. I just presumed it was okay to do that. And I took, I took his cross. And he's braced it, and I'm bringing him unto you. And I presume you're going to be happy with that, David. And you know, I hear David's voice here. You hear someone's voice sometimes in the scriptures you're reading. I hear David's voice almost strong He says, how are you not afraid yeah. to stretch forth your hand to destroy the Lord? Friend, yes. you know, we need to say that to someone in the church. Yeah. How are you not afraid yes. to think like that? How are you not afraid Jeez. to do that? How are you not afraid to continue walking the way? Spoke to a lady in in, in the, the wedding yesterday, and uh, you know lady, uh, elderly lady going for a serious operation soon, spent her whole life in a, in a church denomination, and, and says she's done lots for the Lord and everything, and, 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 and believe. That you know uh, she knows the Lord, she, the Lord knows all of us was what she said. And you know, I'm talking to her about the reality of salvation. How Jesus said, how Jesus said, um many will stand before me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, and she went away offended. Said, her, Can I pray for you? To go to the hospital soon for a big operation. Would you mind before you go? I could see she was getting annoyed. Could you mind if I pray for you? A little later, maybe later. Hmm. Friends, friends. We need to say to someone in the church, how are you not afraid yes. to be 83 years of age right. and looking down the neck of eternity yes. and it's coming, for, it's coming for you. And I said, I said to her, I said, that, I, said, I said, I think the Lord is trying to get your attention with this sickness. And can you not hear David's incredulous voice here as he says to this young man, how were you not afraid to stretch forth your hand to smite the Lord's anointed? What was going through your head that you thought might be happy to hear this news? David called one of the young men and said go near and fall upon him, and that young man killed him for what he'd done, for finishing Saul after Saul, Saul was dying anyway, what did it matter, yeah, what did it matter, yeah, yeah, yeah. that man presumed it was okay to do that, and similarly, a similar story, two men two men, there, uh, Rechab and Banna, and they went and they, mur- they murdered Ishbosheth, Saul's son, and presumed, that David would be glad to hear it. No, David commanded his young men again to kill the murderers. And what did he say? Cut off their hands and cut off their feet and hang them up over the pool in Hebron. Friends, do you know what you're looking at when you see a corpse, two handless, footless corpses hanging up? It's bloody, it's gruesome, it's horrible to think about. But what you're looking at there is the penalty for presumption. I just thought it was okay. I just thought it was okay. Well, you presume wrong. You presume wrong. Why do you think they were strung up, friends? Was it an example? Was it as an example? Is this is what you do when you presume? This is what you do when you just murder someone like that? And when we think of presumption, we might think of Samson. You know, I can lay my head down in Delilah's lap. I can lay my head down in 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 the lap of the world. It doesn't matter. I can taunt her day in and day out. I'm strong. She won't whittle me down. I can cut her away and make sport of her. Samson, you're going to be betrayed. Samson, you're going to end up grinding at the enemy's mill. Samson, you're going to end up getting your eyes put out for playing with sin. That laugh of Delilah leads to blindness and mocking of the enemy, but Samson presumed it was okay, that maybe he was different from others, that it didn't apply to him. And even later in life, you know, we're looking at David here, but even later in the life of David, we see him presuming it was okay to stay at home, be in bed in the afternoon into the evening, go out, look down upon Bathsheba. David just presumed to take this woman and to have her husband killed. He was the king. David can do whatever he wants. He's the king, isn't he? David wasn't immune from presumption. In fact, Scripture is full of examples of those who were overly familiar with God and thus began to live presumptuously. And I've started to see it everywhere. And friends, like I'm saying, I cannot one see it anymore. Everywhere I look, you're seeing presumption. And where there's presumption and familiarity, there surely is pride at work. What is pride? It's the exaltation of self. My opinion, me. You know what say? Pride or sin is like bad breath or bad body odor. Have you ever been beside someone with bad body odor? Mm-hmm. You know you can detect it off everyone else except yourself. Mm-hmm. And we must, we must condition ourselves mm-hmm. to detect these things of ourselves. And how do we do that? I mean, do I trust myself that I'm able to examine every aspect of my life? I'm <coughs> not. I'm relying on you, brothers and sisters, to help me walk this way. You're relying on me. We're relying on each other. This is the body working yes. together. Friends, that's how we walk this narrow way, Do you know, we help each other on that narrow way. You know, Christy yesterday met me after the meeting with a kind of, of links the order and He was standing there at the door and I was like, you trying to say something, you know, something to me? He just had it, he wasn't coming especially for me. but you know, Friends, there's an aspect of that, remains true spiritually. Brother, I can smell something off you. Now, brother, you might need to look at that spiritually. sin. Yeah, The seriousness of presumption. John, listen and observe here in Numbers chapter 15 and verses 30 to 36, it says, The soul that doeth aught, what? Presumptuously. The soul that doeth anything presumptuously. Whether he be born in the land or a stranger, this is what you do if you're doing something presumptuously. He reproaches the Lord. And that soul will be cut off from among his people. The reason there are not people here today that started out and said, I will be part of that Samuel church, is because they presumed certain things along the way. It became a reproach to the Lord. And you know what? Those souls were cut off. I don't say they can't be saved, but I know there's a lot of people not in church this morning that ought to be in church that swore to be in church every Sunday morning. I heard their testimonies, I heard them preach it to others. Shall be cut off from among his people. Because why? Why should he be cut off? Why does it replace Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandments. That soul shall be utterly cut off and his iniquity shall be upon him. But this, this. It says this is what you're actually doing when you act presumptuously. You're despising the word of God. We cannot meddle with things as serious as obedience to God without consequences. We cannot. And friends, listen to the next little story. We just read there about what happens to the soul that does all presumptuously. But listen to the next verses. Those verses precede something else. Listen to what the Holy Spirit decided to put right after those verses. This warning about doing something presumptuously. It says, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness. So he's just spoken about acting presumptuously. And he says, when the children of Israel were were, um, in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. Men just needed sticks for a fire, right? It's the Sabbath day. It seems a very harmless thing to do. He's just picking up sticks. He's just looking for sticks for a fire. You know, God wouldn't have a problem with that. Would he? I mean, the man needs a fire, but it's the Sabbath day. Friends, God didn't think so. God didn't think so. It says in verse 33 that they found him gathering sticks, brought him unto Moses and Aaron, and unto all the congregation, and they put him in ward put him in captivity because it was not declared what should be done to him. Friends, disobedience will put you in a prison or a captivity, a tight place, and it says the Lord said unto Moses, this man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. Friends, church, you're going to have to judge sin in your midst or else be found against God. That's the way it is. Just two sides of one line here. And you know this reaction to kill this man, it wasn't the reaction of some religious zealot. It wasn't some radical religious extremist that said, ah, take him out of the storm. This is the word of God. And he put this right on the back of the verses about doing something presumptuously. I don't think that's coincidental is it? And all the congregation brought him out the camp and stoned him with stones. And he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Do you know there's such an attitude in the church, there can be such an attitude amongst people. Trying to help someone. Trying to deal with someone. Trying to say something to someone. Are you saying you're better than me? What do you say you're better than me? Who do you think you are to come and say something to me? Friends, that's a stinking attitude. That's a stinking attitude if it's in me. If it's in, that's a stinking attitude. We want to deal with issues. We want to walk in. We want to press into the Lord. Do you know this word, presumptuously, here in the Hebrew, it's actually made up of two Hebrew words. And those two words individually have broad usage, they mean, lots. They're, they're really there's, there's lots of words that describe the two words that make up presumptuously. But for where we read presumptuously, I could make this phrase, right, you're going to say this is a weird one, haughty axletree, or an exalted exultry, you say, what does that mean? Well, haughty or exalted is one of those words in Hebrew, and the second word is axletree. You say I've read that word "axle tree" in Scripture. Where have I noticed it before? Well, it's used in conjunction with making the bases for the laborers in Solomon's temple. The axle tree. You know that the wheels on those bases were two and a half foot high wheels, and those wheels rotated on an axle underneath those laborers, underneath the bases of those laborers. And you know what's an axle tree? Well, the axle is the center of everything. We're talking about the word presumptuously. All revolves around you. And you're haughty, and you're proud, and you're exalted at that. That is what the word presumptuously means. An exalted axle tree. And you think of how essential an axle on a bicycle wheel is, or an axle on a trailer is. But now give it voice and it screams, I am so necessary, I am so important to this whole thing. And now you start to see the heart and the attitude behind doing something presumptuously. God says this, but I am so vital to this whole operation. That wheel on that bicycle or wheelbarrow will not rotate except for me. It will not work without me at the center. Mm -hmm. That's the word presumptuous. Wow. Mm -hmm. And now we're beginning to start to understand what it means. That's good. And the fact of it Mm -hmm. is, if there's an axle on a wheelbarrow, that axle is necessary. And that axle under those levers was necessary. They couldn't be moved without the axle to put the wheels onto And God put axles under those bases of those labors because they were necessary for the moving of those heavy things. But what a problem when the axle is so aware of how important it is. My opinion, you've hurt my feelings. I'm offended. Friends, this is the rhetoric of the world today. We cannot have it in the church. The very first thing when God started to deal with me was he offended me. He showed me my life was an offense. That 20 years of my life, Maybe 50 years of your life was a stinking offence to him. Yes, that's right. And how did you end up saved? Well, you had to do something with that information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You had to do something. You had to humble yourself. You said, do you know what I said? I'm not taking that from God. I'm not taking that from the preacher. I'm not taking it from someone telling me my whole life is a stink." Friends, there is one way to the cross. Lord, bend this proud and stiff-necked I, the letter I. Bend. Do you know what they say? The letter C is a le- is a bent I. C for Christ. Bend this proud and stiff necked I. Let me bow the head and I. Beholding him on Calvary that bowed his head for me. Hallelujah. Friends, we cannot be we cannot ever feel like that this work needs me so badly. God saved you because of His mercy and His grace, but there's an aspect, that, and, and there is an aspect in which it was necessary for you to be saved here today. There wouldn't be a church gathering here today if you weren't saved, and I'm glad that you're here. Well friends, you know, there's an aspect of, of, of how necessary that is. And God had a plan and you were part of it. There there is such a problem when all you can see is how necessary you are, how needful your opinion is, how important your thoughts and comments and actions are. Church, we have to be aware of these things because we're literally in Scripture here, reading examples, we're literally reading examples of those who fell foul of these sinful attitudes and sins. They knew what was right, but they forgot or they waned. The importance of these things became lessened, more diluted, dulled down, reduced... Friends, can you imagine witnessing on that day, this man, there's a man know he's outside and he's there dead on the ground with stones heaped all over, he's just been battered to death by stones that you threw, and that was because of presumption. It's horrifying, yes. but it's supposed to be. It's supposed to grab our attention. Well, yeah. Sure, all he was doing was just gathering sticks. Was that not a bit extreme? This is the rhetoric of the church today. Yes, that's right. You know, it is supposed to be shocking and horrifying and attention grabbing. And you know what it does? It propels you and me into examining our motives. It, you know we're going to sing. I'll print it off here and maybe after this meeting, search me, O oh God, know my heart today. Try me, O oh Saviour. Presumption in the ark. Do you know, today I'm led to draw our attention to those who dealt presumptuously, specifically towards the ark of the covenant, and I, I said I've been engrossed in the books of Samuel these past times, and you know, it was from First Samuel that key preached last week, reminding us of who we're called to be as a church, and you know, As I read those beginning chapters in the book of 1 Samuel, all I became aware of was the Ark. And you know in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 3 is the first time that it mentions the Ark of the Covenant. And the reference there was, Samuel was laid down to sleep near where the Ark was, there with Eli in the temple. And, And after that, friends, after that first mention in the book of 1 Samuel, listen to this. The Ark is mentioned 35 times in 54 verses. Between four verse three wow. and seven verse two, that ark is mentioned thirty-five times in fifty-four verses, and that is an average frequency of one mention of the ark every one point five four verses. If you're wondering, in that block of scripture, and you know what that says to me. Do you know what that should say to us. It's important. The ark is important. Very important. The ark was very prominent, and you know attention in those verses in that block of scripture was drawn to where the ark was, who was associated with the ark. What was done with the ark? Where was it taken? What happened when it was done? And you know, when I noticed that the ark was being referred to with such frequency in these chapters, I found myself considering and meditating again on what was the meaning of the ark. What was this ark? Well, the ark symbolizes the presence of God. We know, we understand that from scripture. The ark is synonymous with the glory of God. Mm. The ark is a type of Christ. It says that the ark was made of wood. And wood or trees in scripture are a type or a picture of humanity. And we know that Christ was a man, God, come in the flesh. But it says that this ark wasn't left as wood. It was overlaid with gold. And that gold speaks of the divinity of God. It speaks that 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 ark, um, it it portrays an image or gives us an understanding of something of Christ. And you know with Noah's ark, which was an entirely different ark altogether, Noah's ark was to float on water. But it says that Noah's ark was pitched it says within and without with pitch and that word pitch means covering or redemption price or ransom and it speaks of Christ in its own right Noah's Ark that's how it was waterproof that's how it was made sound and sure and how you knew it was going to survive the flood that was coming And, and that speaks of Christ in its own right but it also uses the same work same words with the Ark of the Covenant it says that it was overlaid within and without but with gold this time. Mm. It was covered inside and outside, like Noah's ark was with pitch. This ark of the covenant was overlaid within and without, but with gold. And that speaks of Christ. You know, man doesn't have gold on the inside, God had to put gold, yes, yes. if there's anything yeah. good there at all, it's only the fingerprints of God. But yes, yeah. right. well, we know man is very good, and we have a friend, a jeweler here in our midst today, and I'm sure he tells us, he's probably seen a lot of stuff in his time, where you just scratched that it it got just a very, shade, very thin veneer of gold, no depth to it at all, no real value in it, but it looks shiny, and it looks like the real thing. Friends, we're after reality, and that reality yes. is yes. exactly. with Christ. And that's what, that's what, so here he is. Uh, this, this ark was uh, covered within and without with gold. But when you look at Jesus, you knew this was a man, but he was God, come in the flesh. And the ark, we remember, was made of wood, overlaid with gold. And in the ark were two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on them, the law. And the ark of the the covenant then housed or kept the law just as jesus kept the law perfectly and there was also in it a jar of manna and we know that manna was that supernatural bread from heaven that divine sustenance that god sent his people but ordinarily we remember that if that manna was kept until the next day it says it bred worms and it stank but this this part of manna in the ark it never bred worms And, you know, it reminds us of the durability of this bread. Again, it speaks of Christ because Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The bread of God is he that comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. And there was also Aaron's rod in that Ark of the Covenant. Aaron's rod that budded. It says in Numbers, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. This speaks of life coming out of death, life coming out of something which was cut off. And friends, I see Jesus in that. And you know this Ark of the Covenant, it was a box that had a cover on top, and we know on that cover, overarching it, where cherubim's wings were touching it, um, uh, over the top, the, the cover of that Ark. And we know that that area, below the cherubim's wings, was known as the, the Mercy Seat. And it is identified as the very presence of God God says to Moses in Exodus, there will I meet with thee and will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony. So the ark wasn't just any old chest for transporting some items. It was God's visible expression of his presence, and that made it unique and holy, and it had to be treated very carefully. How do we get to talking about the ark? Well, we're talking about the frequency it occurred. And I'm just building something here. I want us to understand how important it was to have this ark in their midst. Do you know, it was made very carefully. It was handled and transported carefully. It abode in the inner tent within the veil. And Joseph couldn't just walk in off the street and see or touch the ark. There was much order and rules, Uh, Made uh, and surrounding about how this Ark was to be treated. Friends, that's the presence of God in our midst. This is what I'm saying. This is the parallel. There was much order and rules surrounding how it was to be treated. Only the high priest could go in there where the Ark was once a year, not without blood, and he could be struck down in the presence of God if he did not take care to prepare himself for what he was about to do. And all of the order and rules and protections that were set in place for dealing with the Ark of the Covenant, they reinforced in everybody's mind that looked on the fact that this was holy, something completely separate from the normal everyday life, the humdrum of everyday life. And it was a visible expression of just how separate God was from men. The fact that the ark was behind the veil in an inner sanctuary was a reminder that God was very near, but he couldn't just be approached unto anyway. He was here. The presence of God was there. But you couldn't just walk into where the presence of God was. You would access to God, but you were going to come the way that God appointed, or die, presuming that you could yes. come any other way. It says in scripture that the ark was synonymous with the glory of God. And it's the same ark that gets, that gets 35 mentions here in the, in the beginning of uh, the book of uh, 1 Samuel. And you would know, expect then, knowing everything we've just gone kind of through, a brief synopsis of what the ark was, and that was only brief. You would expect that everywhere it went, it got reverence and respect what happened here in 1 Samuel? Well, it's says Samuel grew up around it. And I believe like us as a Samuel church, enamored from the very beginning with what the presence of God was and knowing this is right and we need to stay here close to this and hear God's voice. And Samuel grew up learning about the ark. He saw Hophni and Phinehas, who we know were a type of a church that just in open sin with no restraint. And he saw, saw Hophni and Phinehas growing up, what their attitude was towards the ark and God's holy things. He saw negligence. There was carelessness there. And you know, I believe that's like us as a church, frequently bewildered by hearing some new way that God's holy things are being desecrated in something called his church. And friends, in the midst of these chapters, okay, in the beginning of of verse Samuel, you know, we have all these mentions of the ark, but in the midst of these chapters, you find Israel in battle with the Philistines. And it says Israel were smitten, and it says 4,000 of them were dead. And it says in 1st Samuel 4 verse 3 concerning this, When the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? So somebody had a bright idea and they said, Let us fetch the Ark of the Covenant. What? The Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant back where it's supposed to be. You're going to bring that out here into a battle with the Philistines. You've just said, wherefore has the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? There's 4,000 men dead out in the field now, right? And we understand there was a lot of confusion and chaos. There's 4,000 dead out there. But some bright spark goes, I know what we'll do. We'll get the Ark of God and we'll bring it out here. Presumption with the Ark of God. (laughs) They're just after saying, "Wherefore is the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines?" Let's fetch the ark of the, Let's bring His presence out here to the battlefield. Let's fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. What presumption! Yes. We're going to bring it out, and it's just going to save us. Don't you know we see this all throughout the Catholic Church in our country? Mm. A stinky padre, Pio mis. And what it's going to do if you're on a trip to Lourdes or yes. wearing some holy medal or, or something. Yes. But it's not just the Catholic Church. This superstition is everywhere. It's in, it's, in, it's in the Church of Christ. This superstition. I know not the real bride friends. But it's there. We see it all around. Yeah. They just said the Lord smote us today and now we're taking his ark out amongst them. So it's like a last ditch effort. Presumption. We're going to move on without God. God hadn't commanded it. God hadn't, hadn't vetoed it. But we're going to use God to get our victory. Friends, they had no, listen to this, they had zero fear of losing the ark. When they were going down there to trot that ark out to the battlefield, they had no fear of losing the ark. And you know, we hear this all the time, you can't lose your salvation, don't say you can lose your salvation. Friends, they're going to take the presence of God out somewhere, the presence of God wasn't supposed to go, they're presuming on God, they're not doing things with that ark, they should never have been doing with that ark. You do not tie with these things That's right. without consequence. When they went to get the ark, it says Hophni and Phineas were there with the ark. Remember Hophni and Phineas, types of that rebellious, sinful church. Hophni and Phineas actually liked being with the ark. No one was dead. That's where Hophni and Phineas were. It says they were there with the ark. You know, there's something about it. There's enough in the most carnal of churches where they want to be identified with the presence of God. They want to still want to be around there. You know, they may have been impacted and like walked holy for a time, got onto a broad path, and they're an open sin. But they were there with the ark, it says. Just because someone wants to be associated with the presence of God does not make him right. Hophni and Phinehas weren't. And these men were an open sin and did whatever they wanted. Two of the most presumptuous men and did what was right in their own eyes. And it's assumed here that the idea was pitched to them and that they agreed, consented to take the ark into battle. You remember, they ended up dying in the battle. They went with that ark thought it was a great idea. People just suggested, let's bring the presence of God out here into the battle. Off they went with it. And it says in verse 5 that all Israel shouted with a great shout when the ark came to the camp and battle. You know, here they see the ark coming out and they kind of go, oh, here's our victory. There's 4,000 dead, but God's going to give us the victory because we know that God, we know that God has to. I mean, we have his ark. We're going to force God's hand here. So they carried the ark and there was a great shout. Friends, just because there's great excitement around the presence of God doesn't make a thing right. Yes. Even the Philistines were afraid, you read those verses, and doubted themselves because they knew what the ark meant. The Philistines mm. knew what the ark meant. The Philistines said, we're in trouble here. Mm. And it's in 4 verses 10 to 11 it says, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen." There's just shy 26,000 seats in Talman Park. And there's a of Israel here, 30,000, that kind of amount of people, 30,000 footmen. they've just lost four, in fact it was 30,000, or 30, 34, they've just lost, they've lost 4,000 already, and it says, listen to this, verse 11, and the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, worse man tragedy, 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 friends, the worst tragedy of all was at the ark was taken. You know, a runner sent head, heads back to tell the news. His clothes are rent. He's got earth on his head. And you have Eli, Eli looking out with his blind eyes, straining, looking out, trembling, it says, for the ark of light. God. Eli, why did you try not try and stop them taking the ark out in the first place? This is who Eli was. His sons were there in ministry and in, in open sin. And Eli knew it was wrong, but he wouldn't deal with it. He didn't deal with it. And they've just taken the ark out. And here's Eli back behind. They've taken the ark out. He didn't stop them. Doesn't say there that he tried to stop them, maybe he was just all too old and fat and blind to even try and stop them. <laughs> and he is he's here trembling, trembling, trembling for the ark of God. So that was Eli's mark, not dealing with sin. So the man comes back, the runner, he tells the news, it says the whole city cries out, and Eli learns of his son's death and the Ark's capture, and what his response was then he fell off his seat backwards by the gate, and he died after breaking his neck under his own weight. And you wife there, now her husband, gone out to the battle with the Ark, And Phineas' wife, about to give birth, it says she died in the process, and the last thing she did before dying was name the boy Ichabod, the glory is departed. Friends, is there? When you start to understand what the ark is, and what the presence of God is, and the vitalness of having the presence of God in our midst, and when you start to see these things for what they are, you know, and to have these things elevated in our minds. Is there then any worse word in Scripture than Ichabod? The glory is departed. The thought that the glory could depart, could just move on, and that's what's happened. The Philistines have captured that ark. Do you know, if you care about the ark, there isn't a worse word than Ichabod. And friends, the priests and people were fine with taking the ark out presumptuously, but only when it was done did they begin to realize what they'd lost. So easily let go of, so easily played with. Do you know what I say? You play silly games, you win silly prizes. Well, they won silly prizes that day. There was no (laughs) ark, came back with them. You don't just play around with the things of God. You made a great presumption and you lost that ark to the enemy. Years of neglect, little dilutions, little changes. And you can go, we can just carry this thing out into battle. It'll help us. A religious relic. And this this has happened today in the church. But friends, we'd better not think that this can't happen to us. You know, people visit with us, people come and you know say, oh, and, and you hear the, the same, you know, it's like people are glad to find real believers and wanting to go on in reality. And people are always saying how much this Samuel Church means to them. And people come visit in Limerick and people talk with such high regard and respect that we had better tread carefully. I hope that talk always makes you, it always makes me uncomfortable, yeah. uncomfortable because I know what I am. Because I know, yeah. I'm not humble myself. I, I, don't, I don't want to be puffed up and going. Yeah, we're, we're, we're it. Friends perished at all. We had better remain so small in our own eyes. So many would want in the church to gather and fan up the praise of others to themselves and heap them up all around them. What a terrifying way to be. But it says, if the early chapters of 1 Samuel tell of the presumptuous sins that got the Ark carried away, well, here in the book in the, in the book of 2 Samuel, it tells of David now bringing back the Ark from Abinadab's Abed- Abed- house in Gibeah. And we remember... That the Ark signified the glory of God, the presence of God, and it says that David had gathered together 30,000, all the chosen men of Israel. How significant that there were 30,000 lost to the Philistines because of presumptuously carrying the Ark out. And here's 30,000 raised up for the purpose of bringing this Ark back. And it says that the ark of God was set on a new cart. And I can't help but think of this new cart as a type of a new church, a new movement, as it were. Something that this cart, are something that the ark, the presence of God, is going to be set upon and used for the purpose of bringing the presence of God back. A new movement. And the cart, friends, the cart was just a cart. The cart was what allowed the presence of God here in, the, in Second Samuel to be brought back. And I think that cart speaks of a church. Because a cart would have been made by cutting down trees. Trees that had been growing and working and and you know, working those trees and shaping the wood and joining it together to make it fit for purpose. And I think that speaks very much of us as a church. We've you know, we've just trees cut down when the axe of repentance was laid to our roots. And you know, just these years we've been together. And the master carpenter has been cutting the wood and shaping the wood and filling it together and constructing a cart for the sake of. Something that is going to just be suitable to bring the ark to where the presence of God. Something that is going to carry the presence of God. God has to have a vessel and raising up a vessel of recovery. I just think it's such a a thought that just gels with that raising up a vessel of recovery, a new cruise. And God wants the ark where it ought to be. And David wanted the ark where it ought to be. Do you know the beauty of the cart? And there's no beauty in the cart, just a cart, but the beauty of a cart. Is its utility. Yes. It's just, you know, it was the ark that made that cart anything. It could have been any cart. But you know, this was a new cart, it says here. Cart was just something common, but it was made for a purpose. That's what we are. Just, just common, just sinners saved by the grace of God. Amen. And friends, we must be aware of the purpose of God today and what He's been doing in us. That he wants to be in our midst and that he has a purpose for us. Paul said that uh, this treasure we have is in earthen vessels, and that's what we are, friends. You know, just God uses these simple things to, to portray us. And when you see David bringing it back, you're looking at a man of vision, a man with determination, a man that sensed that something was missing, something needed to be here in our midst, a sense of need and determination to bring it back. And friends, I believe we have that, and, yeah. and I want to keep that in our midst, I want us to keep that in our midst. And David was all about a man who was setting things in order. And he was a man all about setting things in order. And in that, I think, we see the heart of God. Amen. You know, David, too, in all his life, fell into presumptuous says, But I can't help but think of him and his attitude to Saul. Do you remember when David was with Saul? He wasn't presumptuous then. He used to ask of God before things, shall yes. I go? Ascolt didn't want to presume he could just go, and he wasn't so sure of himself that he thought he could just go or do, and one time he ended up in the camp actually standing over Saul, do you remember that story? Could have killed him, David's man was there when he could have just smote him through, but he didn't just presume he could kill him. Do you know, would you have said in that case that, that David had given God favour? It actually said that God caused a deep sleep to, to fall on the enemy. And Abishai, who was there with him, David, obviously God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now, therefore, let me smite him. And David says, Destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And look at David's carefulness in all of these things concerning what the mind of God was. Didn't want to overstep his mark, didn't want to deal wrongly towards the ark. Friends, that new character is there, the ark is on it, and it's guided by Uzzah. Uzzah's name is Strength, and this is the opening text in our message today. And it was guided by Uzzah and Ahio, but Uzzah's name is Strength. And I want to talk for a moment about the presumption of Uzzah. It says, And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals they is rejoicing in bringing back the ark. He's bringing the ark back down, Uzzah and Ahio there, and they're making all this clatter and noise and praise to the Lord as they're doing it. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error. And there, there he died by the ark of God. You know, the ark had been at Uzzah's house. It had been there. And Uzzah has been looking at this ark every day. Mm -hmm. He was there, familiar with it, very familiar with it. His name means strong, and this strong man had seemingly innocent actions. You know, David was bringing it back from his house. This strong man, seemingly innocent actions, just wanted to be helpful, just wanted to be forward, watch out for the ark, cared about the ark. So he's grown very, very common with his ark. It's been there at his house, full of good intentions. And you could applaud the man's foresight and carefulness that he'd reach out his hand just to steady the ark, didn't want it to fall off the cart. but he crossed the line, he transgressed. And friends, that's a warning for us, do not be over-familiar. We cannot deal any old way with the presence of God and with the things of God. If we want the ark in our house, if we want God in our midst, we cannot get let these things become common. Friends, it's like messing with electricity. If you presume you can just do something, it's going to kill you before you even have a chance to think otherwise. And was that note notice what was probably just logical to him yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, 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 the door yeah. just reach out the handstand oh, in You know, dead. was is dead. he said, yeah. You know, two tragic stories, friends. In my life personally. The year I got saved, I sold a motorbike to a guy down in Cork, and this guy. His dad brought me up to host him and his dad was very much trying to kind of like get his young fella, you know, kind of into something. He's telling his young fella had been through a lot. And he was up in the house, sat there, drank tea with them, delivered the mortar weight. And the young guy was there said so he was about 20 or 21. And just a little while previously, him and his friends one night had been out drinking, maybe on drugs. They were all around 20 years of age and they climbed an electricity pylon, right? Um, Apparently it was common for people to climb up this electricity pile and it held up the power wires. The barbed wire around it had been cut, there were safety devices had been climbed over, there were signs everywhere, 38,000 volts, um, all kinds of warnings, ignored. And this guy I was with, his friend, climbed up and they said for about 20 seconds the night became like daylight. Oh. He was actually decapitated, severed his spine, third degree burns. And friends, his, his mutilated corpse had to be removed from the top of the electricity pylon. Absolutely tragic. Do you know? They ignored all the signs. They cut the barbed wire. No. They climbed over the ladder that was boarded off. No. They did all those things. No. And this question today, do you think that his friends have climbed an e- tri- a pylon since? No. They were there that night. They've just buried a friend. He's got his heart broken. 20 years of age. They never climbed the pylon again. Did if I was one of those guys, I'd be nervous plugging in the kettle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Nobody would just presume that's that it would yeah, be okay to try and climb that, okay that, that, okay that right. pylon again. That's right, they yeah. all knew the facts. They saw the yeah. signs. They read the warning signs. Would ignore them. And this happens in the church. We're just climbing pylons here. Yeah, and we're dealing with things that are far <coughs> far far greater than thirty-eight thousand volts. Yeah. they knew the facts, but they carried on and suffered the consequence. Or there was another one, another accident. It was at the funeral, and the son had died in a car crash just outside the city. And there was such a crowd came to pay their respects at the house where the coffin was, that they'd opened a field beside the house. And there was some men there, and I knew a man, that was there, directing traffic in the fields to allow people to park cars, to allow people to come and walk to the house. And they were in the field and it was dark, And they had um, a generator, a lighting tower in the fields to provide light for people parking the cars. And they needed to move it. And one of the guys called, my friend called the man I know, to come and give him a hand push the generator. And the other man that was with him said, you stay there and look after the gate, I'll go. Those two men, seconds later, electrocuted. They pushed it into overhead power lines. Mm -hmm. And those two men, and the difference between those two stories is one, they knew all the facts. They disobeyed all the signs. Mm -hmm and someone got electrocuted. The second time round, they didn't know the facts. They didn't know that there was overhead power lines. They didn't know that they were just about to go out into eternity. And friends, that also goes on in the church. And we cannot afford to be ignorant if you're a believer and you're ignorant and you're happy to skirt around on the periphery of things and not press in for oh, you. It is so dangerous. The more knowledge you have, the more dangerous it becomes. Friends, we must not be ignorant. It says that David was displeased after God had struck Uzzah down. It's like David needed to digest this. I mean, they're bringing the ark back. as a man just out dying just from, from touching it. Had to consider everything, had to examine, I'm sure, even his own motives. No, we agree, we must have the ark in our midst, but oh, how awful, how terrible, how dangerous to have the ark in our midst, friends. Look at the carefulness of David hereafter. It says as they were not up, when he came back together, he heard of the blessing with the left of the men's house and there was a blessing there because the ark was there. But when David came back together, he said they went that way, sacrificed, doing six paces, and they were sacrificing oxen wow. and fatlings. That blood came back. Or that that ark came back a bloody way. It was brought back in the midst of much shedding of blood. And do you know, sacrifice. And friends, this is how the ark comes back. So what's the cure for presumption? You say, you've terrified me now about being presumptuous. I'm afraid to open my mouth. I'm afraid, to, I'm afraid to get up tomorrow. You say, what's the cure for presumption? Presumption. Samuel said to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, he said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast not thou made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king That's over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go in order to destroy the sinners, the malabites. Do you remember what Samuel, Samuel do you remember the story? Samuel says to Saul, or like, er, like he's, he was told to go and uh, destroy mm. the Amalekites. Wherefore then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? But you flew upon the spoil and you did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Samuel said, uh, and Saul said unto Samuel, "Yeah, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. I was trying to be obedient. I, I thought I was obedient." He says, "No, you didn't kill the Amalekites. You flew straight to the spoil." Mm. That ought to get our attention that Saul thought he had been obedient. But he actually didn't. Yeah. He was told to be obedient. And he said, You've gone the way which the Lord has sent me, and I brought Agag the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. The Amalekites. You know, lots of people say I'm obeying God, but they're not. It says, But the people took this spoil the sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord been as great has, has the, the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion, that's what this was, rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. and Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected thee for me, king. He said it was fine when you were little in your own sight, when you were small in your own eyes you know, remember last week our brother uh, said the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8, And you shall remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, to humble thee, to humble thee, yeah. and to prove thee. God knows that in bringing back the ark we needed to be humble, we needed to be made humble, we needed to be brought a low way to know what was in thine heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. Friends, small in our own eyes. We talk about the cure for presumption, how to keep the ark, make it important again. Yes. Make the ark important again. It says in 1st Chronicles, and this is a scripture I'm closing with here, friends. And do you know, just as we do, the only way to start, we just passing some of those. What I'm closing is this scripture, 1st Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 to 36. It says, so they brought the Ark of God. So this is in the book of 1st Chronicles. And it's just another perspective of what was happening as David brings the Ark back. So they brought the Ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. You say, what's the cure for presumption? How do we keep the Ark? Burnt sacrifice, peace offerings. Keep that Ark in the midst. It says they set it in the midst. There was sacrifice there, friends. Friends, we're not getting the ark. We're not keeping the ark without sacrifice. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And listen to this. Friends, there's going to be sacrifice in keeping the ark, but there is going to be order if the ark is going to be kept. It says, and he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief, and next to him Zechariah, Jeel, and Shemiramoth, and Jehiel, and Mathetiah, and Eliab, and Benaiah, and obed Edom, and Jeel with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Benaiah also and Jehaziel, the priests with trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Friends, why so much order? Why so many people involved? It's saying you're making a statement. There's an outward expression. The actions of just placing it in the midst and raising up all of this order is making a statement, saying to everyone that looks on, this ark is important, and we're making it important again. And friends, this here in verse seven is the day when the ninety-sixth Sam was born. It says, "On that day, David delivered this Sam, first this Sam to thank the Lord." into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. And he says, and we're thinking now in the context of keeping the ark. It's back, it's in our midst. How do we keep the ark here? There's order raised up around it. It's come back in the midst of sacrifice. And he says, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Look at everything we're instructed to do here. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham. And of his oath unto Isaac, and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, Unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance, when ye were but few, even a few, and strangers in it. And when they went from nation to nation, and from one nation to another, one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes saying, touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Shew forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in his presence. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him, all the earth. The world also shall be stable, that it shall not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let men say among the nations, the Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar and and the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice and all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence of the Lord, because he cometh to judge the earth. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And say ye, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together, and deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks unto thy holy name, and glory in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And the people said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Friends, would you stand with me just before we come to sing this song? We've got words up there. Very briefly, and just on that last point, how do we cure presumption? How do we keep the ark? How my friend, the answer is make it important again. That's the simple answer. Listen to this in Psalm nineteen. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, than yes. much fine gold? Mm-hmm. Did you catch that for us? More to be are they actually? Are they actually in you? Are they actually in me? Are they in us? Right? The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They're more desired than gold, really? Are they really? They're sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Are they really? Are they in me? Do I count these things, the judgments of God, sweeter than the honeycomb? Moreover, by them is my servant born, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand these errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. As we sing, we make these words afterwards. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. He says in verse 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer." Friends, look inward. Look inward. Father in heaven, Lord, I think I speak for us all, and we say, Lord, we want your judgments, Lord, to be more precious to us than gold, and to be sweeter to us than honey. Father, Lord, more necessary to us than the bread we have in our bodies, Lord. Lord, we must have the ark in our midst. We must have the ark in our midst, Lord. We must have your presence, O God. Jesus. Father, we've seen what people have done with your word, Lord. Lord, it's it's here as much as in Ireland, Lord, and all over the world. We see what people have done with your word and how they diluted it, Lord. Let's treat these things as such a light thing, Lord. And Lord, Father, you've even you've reproved me and you've reproved us, Lord. So. Showing us how light we've been in things with times, oh God. And Lord, that we're here at all this morning, is just your grace. It's your grace and your mercy, oh Lord. Lord, I know you're building a new cart, Lord. You want that heart brought back. Oh, Father, would you help us to be fitly joined together? as that, that, that cart should have been, oh God. Lord. Lord, we're looking for you in our midst, oh God. And I know there's a cost of that. Lord, would you make us ready to pay the cost, Lord? Ready to count the cost, yes? These are things you've always said, no, it's still God. Lord, Lord. search our so, Lord, Jesus.